Tips for Travellers provides inspiration, advice and tips about finding and having a luxurious travel experience. It covers destinations, transportation, accommodation, attractions and journeys. I'm Gary Bembridge and I launched the Tips for Travellers podcast in 2005 to share with travellers my learning on how to make the most of their time in every international destination I visit. For the last 20 years, I've been travelling almost every month of every year to exciting destinations all around the world. Thanks to my global marketing job, it takes me to destinations on every continent. The air miles I earn while doing that helps to take me to even more destinations for vacation. Tips for Travellers shares that learning. Visit www.tipsfortravellers.com for more information. Remembering that Travellers is spelt with two L's the UK way. I'm recording this on the deck of the absolutely gorgeous Cunard Queen Mary 2. We're currently just pushing away from the side of the dock in Southampton for a seven night crossing across the Atlantic to New York. And as I mentioned, we're literally just pushing away and about to embark on a crossing. The crossing that I'm on is a winter crossing and the captains just advise us that we probably should be expecting more moderate to rough seas, which is relatively common for a winter crossing. So I'll be bringing you a little bit more about that. On this particular series of the podcast, during the course of the crossing, I'm going to be recording a series of observations and things about the crossing. If you want to find out more about choosing a crossing or you want to find out more what happens on a day-to-day basis of a crossing, I have some other podcasts and various posts on the blog at tipsfortravels.com. This one's going to be observations from a winter crossing of the Atlantic on the magnificent Queen Mary II. That's the horn from the Queen Mary 2 as we leave Southampton on the way to New York. A standard feature of any cruise is safety and the safety briefing or the muster as it's called. Most of the cruise lines operating out of the UK tend to hold the muster event which is where you get it shown where you would go and meet if there's any incident on board and it's also where you get instructions on how to uh, follow the various security protocols if anything happens on board and also you get explained how to put on and wear your life jacket. Now the whole issue of muster stations and briefing of passengers became very topical with the Costa Concordia accident in 2012 when it was actually found that the ship tended to run its muster station and briefing of passengers sometime after it had departed port. Now Cunard is very different because Cunard actually does the briefing before the ship even pushes away from the dock. And what I thought I would do is play you what the captain actually tells passengers. Now bear in mind in terms of this particular sequencing of observations I'm playing a little bit after 
we've set sail. But actually, this happened before we even pushed away from Southampton. So everyone is completely briefed about what should happen if there's an incident on board. And I think that sense of safety and the fact that the ship makes such a huge issue of it is extremely reassuring for anyone going on a cruise or a crossing, for that matter. Your safety and well-being is our highest priority, and therefore I now request your complete attention whilst I outline some important information. The signal that you heard a few moments ago was the general emergency signal. This consists of seven short blasts, followed by one long blast of the ship's whistle and the ship's alarms. This is the only signal that requires you to take action in an emergency, and is used to call you to your assembly station. If you hear this signal at any time, you should go to your stateroom, collect your life jacket, warm clothing, a head covering, and any medication that you normally use. And then, carrying your life jacket, go to the assembly station which is specified on the safety notice on the back of your stateroom door. The assembly stations are located on deck 7, and guides will be positioned on the stairways to direct and assist you. Please work quickly and quietly, and on the stairways and in the alleyways, keep to the right to allow other guests and crew to pass. Please note that the general emergency signal is not the signal to abandon the ship. <laughs> if for any reason you are prevented from turning to your stateroom, go directly to your assembly station where a life jacket will be given to you. And when you reach your designated assembly station, you should wait quietly for the instructions and information that will be broadcasted over the public address system or given to you by the officer in charge of your station. In the unlikely event that it is necessary to abandon ship, the order will be given from the bridge. Staff will then divide you into groups and guides will take you from your assembly station to the ship's survival craft find exits now being indicated by members of the ship's company. In the event of a fire, your route may appear to be blocked by fireproof doors. Although they are heavy, these doors may be opened by hand and will close automatically behind you. There are alternative exits from every space and you should take a few moments to thoroughly familiarise yourself with the area surrounding your stateroom. In the event of an emergency, low location strip lighting will switch on automatically. If the visibility in your area is reduced so that you cannot see the normal exit signs, you should keep close to the floor or deck and follow the illuminated strip, and this will lead you to an exit. It is important that you do not use the lifts or elevators in an emergency, as you may become trapped in the event of a power failure. Should you smell smoke or discover a fire, press one of the red fire alarms situated around the ship. This will activate an alarm on the bridge so that immediate action can be taken. But please note that you will not hear the alarm sound locally. Kinard Line is committed to the protection of the environment, so please do not throw anything over the ship's side. For those of you who smoke, the ship does have a few designated smoking areas, but please do not throw cigarette ends or cigar butts over the ship's side. 
and please use the receptacles and ashtrays provided. Please carefully study the safety section of your stateroom information folder. This also outlines what electrical items that can be used and those that are not to be used on board the ship. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for attending this exercise which is held for our mutual safety. And now, to conclude, please remain where you are and you will be shown how to put on your life jacket by the ship staff in your assembly session. On every cruise I've ever been on, one of the things that you have to do when you check in is sign a declaration that says that you haven't been vomiting or suffering from diarrhea. And that's partly as a way of ensuring that the norovirus does not or is not brought on board ship. And an outbreak of norovirus is one of the things that definitely ranks among an item or an event that strikes real concern in the cruising world. The norovirus is very common both on land and sea, but it does get a huge amount of publicity if it does break out on a ship because, of course, it's uh, very visible, it tends to be very well reported, and there are kind of regulations. The norovirus is always, always uh, something that cruise ships watch out for. There are various assessments by the UK and US vessel sanitation authorities. There's lots of processes. But on this particular crossing, the norovirus is even more topical because uh, there has been an outbreak in the UK. Uh, one of the sister uh, companies, the P&O, has, which also operates out of Southampton, has seen some outbreaks on some of their ships. Some hospitals, in fact, have stopped visitors uh, visiting passengers because of uh, outbreaks of norovirus. And so we had to sign the usual declaration before we boarded, but also at various points on the crossing, the captain has actually spoken a lot about the norovirus. Let's take a listen to what he actually had to say. And your attention for an important announcement. As you're aware, from the uh, health advisory that's uh, been provided in your stateroom, norovirus is an extremely common virus which causes a mild gastroenteritis illness, sometimes known as a stomach flu. This virus is the second most frequently reported illness after the common cold, and it's responsible for many outbreaks of gastroenteritis worldwide. Now this year, a large increase in cases is evident throughout the UK and worldwide, and in fact, cases are up 60% on last year. Now, as the illness is so prevalent, I would request that if you are currently experiencing any systems of vomiting or diarrhea, then I would ask you to please report this immediately by contacting the medical centre from your stateroom telephone by dialing 999 or 911. And from there, our medical team will do everything to assist you. Similarly, if you develop any symptoms of vomiting or diarrhea later on, then please also report this immediately again by contacting the medical centre from your stateroom telephone by dialing 999 or 911. Now I'm personally asking you for your co cooperation in assisting us to prevent any cases of this illness coming on board Queen Mary 2. And please be aware that the virus is easily passed on from person to person by the touching of surfaces such as handrails, door handles, 
important to understand that the single most effective means of prevention is to frequently and thoroughly wash your hands. And this hand washing should be done for at least 20 seconds with warm water. Now whilst the alcohol sanitizers are no substitute for hand washing, these are provided for your use in certain food areas around the ship. And as a precautionary measure, we have implemented a rigorous sanitation program which has been developed in association with various government health agencies and authorities. And this includes procedures that will be visible to you, in particular within the self-service restaurants and food outlets. Ladies and gentlemen, I would ask you to please make sure that you read the advisory in your stateroom as this does contain further information on the measures you can take to minimise the risk to yourselves and all other guests on board. And I would like to emphasise that the success in preventing this illness developing on board the ship relies heavily on the cooperation of you and your fellow passengers and our crew, and it's particularly important at this time. Ladies and gentlemen, I really do thank you in advance for your support in this matter and for the taking, taking the time to listen to this announcement. So you can probably hear that we're now at sea, it's the first morning. It's fairly um, rocky robin. Um, we're probably heading through the Bay of Biscay, which has a reputation for being quite rough at times. The captain would warn us that we would probably have some moderate to rough seas. It's fairly choppy, but you know, this is a massive ship. It has the big stabilizers that it puts out, uh, or deploys is probably the right word, either side of the ship which stops that sort of sideways motion, which is a thing that often makes people feel kind of um, seasick. So you get more of an up and down motion. But it is fairly rocky. Um, you can probably hear the sea there. There's a lot of wind, so not going to spend a lot of time uh, standing out on the balcony with noise. But seasickness is something that people do worry a lot about when they're on a ship. So these are my tips about seasickness. Number, the first tip of, is do not psych yourself into feeling seasick. Many people get so worried, so wound up about it, they almost make it happen. There are things you can do to minimize and erase the likely causes. And these are the following. Number two, which is my second tip. If you are concerned about it, book a cabin that's in the middle of the ship and low down and try and you know stick to and use the public areas which tend to be in the middle of the ship, although the restaurants do tend to be at the back of the ship. The middle of the ship is where the movement will be the least. So, you know, if you have rough seas, the bow will rise, the stern will fall, and of course it reverses. But the center of the ship stays the most still throughout that movement, and it's very noticeable, if you are ever at rough seas, just how, uh, you know, the center of the ship stays as sta static as, as it can do. So that's the other tip, is if you're concerned about it when you're booking a cabin. My third tip is buy and use the over-the-counter seasickness pills whenever you're going on a cruise. You buy them from a pharmacy or a drugstore before you go. They're very effective. Different countries have different uh, various actives, etc. So you ask your pharmacist or, or, or the, the pharmacy uh, department in your drugstore. Most of them you take from a couple of hours before you set off. You take them every eight hours. It, it's, in my view, it's much better to start taking them and stop if you're feeling great rather than waiting to feel ill before you start taking them. Because if you actually do only take them once you're being ill, you're not going to keep them down to get the effect. Some people use 
a kind of acupressure wristband instead. Personally, I've never seen anyone really convinced by them. The pills, though, work, even at very rough seas, which I've experienced um, on various crossings. In fact, this crossing, as I've already mentioned, it's been quite rough at various times. The fourth one is if you still, or if you feel particularly lousy or you feel seasick, as I mentioned, you go as soon as you can to the medical center and get this injection. It's very fast. It's very effective. You sleep for a few hours. You feel great. They often give you pills of the same active ingredient to take for the next few days. And then what I would say, which is my last tip, is once you're on a level keel, literally, as it were, the other advice is you eat ginger because ginger is supposed to be very good for if you're feeling a little bit queasy drink things like ginger ale get lots of fresh air and there's the view that you should actually look out and look at the horizon if you have bouts of feeling queasy but seasickness is not something that should stop you going on a cruise because there if you do suffer from it despite these huge big stable ships there are definitely things that you can do about it so we're currently on the third or fourth night and we're going through a force nine gale storm uh, which is going to build up it's just started to build up it's going to build up between now which is about 10 o'clock at night and three o'clock in the morning so i thought i'd just take you out on the balcony get a feel for it that's just open the door you can hear the wind blowing and then we'll come out onto the balcony and if you can really hear it there's very kind of rough seas uh, smashing inside of the ship and spray blowing up. I don't know if you can really hear all that. Uh, quite dramatic and quite exciting really. Another thing that I want to talk about, which for me is kind of an observation, but it's also kind of a tip, is on a crossing to really embrace and enjoy what they call the kind of enlightenment program. This is all lectures and learning on board. And, you know, one of the dangers, because we're also busy and we doing loads of things, we tend to focus on the things that we're interested in and we tend to screen out and probably limit ourselves to the things that we expose ourselves to. And that's why I find the Enlightenment program that QNOT have on board crossings and some of the other cruises, of course, just fantastic because it forces you, if that's the right word, to explore new topics, new experiences, new learning. Generally on a crossing, you'll have four or five experts from a very diverse range of disciplines and backgrounds. I think they, in return for giving you know three or four lectures over the seven days of crossing, they get their journey paid for. Uh, is how I think it works. Cleanard record all the talks, so if you can't actually attend them because there's so much else going on, you can watch them after, uh, you know, in your room on television. And it's great because what many of the speakers tend to do, in my experience, is they will do a series on a topic. So, for example, on The Crossing, there was a series of talks about the history of skyscrapers in New York split by time periods, or kind of the history of transatlantic crossings, which are split over a number of different sessions. 
To give an example of the sort of people that are on this crossing, there is a, a guy called Ken Walsh, who's a chief White House correspondent, talking obviously about the White House and politics. There's a, uh, an ex-policeman called Ian Brown, who's kind of billed as a true crime expert. He's spoken about things like the craze. He's spoken about uh, the Brinksmack robbery. There's uh, a guy who ship geeks know very well, uh, Ted Skull, who's billed as a historian travel writer. He talks a lot about Cunard history, Cunard Queens, transatlantic crossings. And a fascinating guy called Seth Goppin, who's an art historian who's been talking about skyscrapers. So a very diverse kind of mixture of topics. And it's amazing. They hold them in the Illuminations Theatre, which I don't know how many people it holds, but it's a good, good couple of hundred, absolutely packed out. For example, the Ian Brown lectures, standing room only, literally. There's two talks every day, one at about 10.30, one at about 3.30. And the things that I love about this program is the speakers, you can pretty much guarantee they will be entertaining. Cunard uses them quite often. They screen them very well, in my experience. They know how to pitch to a very diverse audience. They know how to engage you. Uh, I've never come across a poor speaker. And, you know, I've almost never, ever seen people leaving sessions. People might leave if it's running a little bit over because they want to dash off to afternoon tea or they've got want to go to the next thing on. But I've never seen people walking out, which is a testament to how strong the speakers are. In terms of content, most of the content is linked to travel or kind of associated aspects, politics. They appeal, you know, generally people who are interested in, in travel or the world in general. The other thing which is very powerful, I think, is the speakers tend to be speaking in terms of anecdotes. They're very personal and very visual. So the talks tend to be anecdotes. They're soundbite style presentations. They're very easy to digest, very easy to follow, very visual, lots of images. And I assume that Cunard must be kind of uh, using people or, or requiring people to speak like this. But they're very personal. So you'll find they tend to be about things the person's done themselves. So it's often stories that you may just not know or you'll never get that insight because these are people who've actually done it you know so like Ted Scully you know he's using photographs from his own collection you know he's been traveling on ships right back into the 50s so fascinating but as I mentioned one of the things that I do think is very powerful it exposes topics and areas that you won't usually read about you know I probably wouldn't go and listen to something on the brink mat robbery I may not listen to things about skyscrapers or how the White House works or whatever and you know it, you just come away with kind of all this kind of interesting facts and figures and stuff it's it's really very powerful the other thing on a crossing will normally some be some kind of celebrity so for example uh, on this crossing we have the actress Celia Imrie but they've had everyone from Sir David Frost, Michael Winner, you know, John Cleese, all sorts of really interesting people. You know, on a crossing, time slows down, you have time to explore new topics, and this kind of enlightenment program really is 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 a, a powerful addition. It's a really great thing to do, and it's one of the things that, for me, is a, kind of a highlight and something that, for me, is, a, is an important observation of, of any crossing. Very good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is the captain with our new report. At noon today, Queen Mary 2, 2's position was latitude 44 degrees, 3.9 minutes north, and longitude 54 degrees, 2.3 minutes west. This places the Queen Mary 2, 246 nautical miles east of Sable Island. And Sable Island itself is situated 190 
nautical miles southeast of Halifax in Canada. And uh, this little island is uh, occupied by approximately five people throughout the year and is well known for Sable Island ponies, which seems to be the main purpose of the island, I think, for all the ponies to survive on the island itself. Now, at the moment, the depth under the keel is 2,250 metres, which is 6,860 feet. And we're continuing to steer a ramline course of 242 degrees at a speed of 18 knots. Since noon yesterday, we've seen a distance of 521 nautical miles at an average speed of 21.7 knots. And since our departure from Southampton, we have now travelled 2,235 nautical miles at an overall average speed of 19.6 knots. You've been listening to Tips for Travellers, the global travel destination podcast. A new destination with first-hand based advice, recommendations and tips is added each month. If you subscribe to the podcast, thanks for your support. If you don't, you may want to consider subscribing by searching Tips for Travellers or Gary Bembridge on iTunes or your favourite podcast directory. You can then subscribe to the Tips for Travellers Global Travel Destination audio podcast or the video podcast with hotel rooms and attractions. To find out more, visit tipsfortravellers.com. The Travellers is spelled the UK way with two L's or email me at gary at mytravelreviews.co.uk.